Ladies and gentlemen, so excited to be on location for this episode. You know you have those episodes where you're like, you that pinch yourself before you go and do it. And this has been in works probably, I would say, about six months to a year. You know, starting with conversations and asking like, can this really happen? And we're finally here to make it happen. And we're in location at the National Aquarium. And guess what? The next voice you'll hear be somebody that represents the National Aquarium. We'll be right back after these messages. No Picks After Dark is sponsored by Snug Books, an independent bookstore serving Northeast Baltimore and beyond. In addition to featuring new books for all ages, the store also carries cards, stationery, gifts, games, and more. Visit snugbooks.com to shop online, learn more about the store, read our latest newsletter, and find a calendar of events, or come browse the store in person. Snug Books is located at 4717 Harford Road, next to Zeke's Coffee in Hamilton, Laurelville. There is free parking behind the store, and open hours are Tuesday through Sunday, 10 a.m. to 6 p.m. The No Picks After Dark podcast is fueled by Zeke's Coffee. Have you tried their coffee yet? I'm telling you, there's something different about it. Maybe it's because they roast their beans in a fluid coffee roaster, which provides the most accurate roasting temperatures and made with love. You will just have to check it out for yourself and try their delicious food while you're at it. Open now for curbside service, online ordering, carry out, and they also do wholesale. Visit Zeke's Coffee at 4719 Hartford Road. Open Monday through Friday, 7 a.m. to 6 p.m. and Sunday, 8 to 5 p.m. Kitchen closes at 3 p.m. Or visit Zeke'sCoffee.com and you too can be fueled by Zeke's. Welcome to the No Picks After Dark Podcast. I'm your host, Aaron Dante. Today we have an amazing show for you. We are on location at the National Aquarium. The National Aquarium. I feel like a little kid in the candy store right now. I'm so excited. And we have an amazing guest. Amazing guest here today. Miss Laura Banky, how are you doing today? I am super well, Aaron. Thanks for asking. I'm so happy we're here to finally make it happen. <laughs> um, I'm glad we're able to tell our story uh, here at the National Aquarium. We, do, I, you know, as you're giving that introduction, I had to pinch myself because I'm like, I, I forget, you know, working here for 20 years, how amazing it is every single day. And I, I appreciate you um, reminding me. So we have to give you your flowers. Please tell everybody your, you know, your title, your title. Sure. So I'm the vice president of conservation programs at the National Aquarium. So somebody's going to ask, what, what, what is that? What, what does that mean? <laughs> so for me, um, it does mean that I, I lead the overall strategic direction of conservation here at the National Aquarium, but I also oversee specific teams, um, particularly our field conservation team and our community conservation team, the ones that enjoy kind of going out with our guests and volunteers to do something good for this planet, like restoring wetlands or restoring a forest or doing a cleanup event in a neighborhood park. Those are, that's my team, um, but because of my, my title, I am kind of really in charge of the larger conservation initiative here at the National Aquarium, which is much, much broader. As you can imagine, we take care of thousands of animals. We care for those thousands of animals, but we also want it, that care to translate into the natural environment. So we do a lot of research. Um, we do a lot of kind of understanding the, the needs of animals and we help 
people, researchers out in the environment, kind of understand the animals a little bit better. You know, we have our rescue program, which everybody knows about, um, and it's really a, a pretty fantastic uh, thing to be able to take an animal in need and be able to return him back into the natural environment. Um, our education programs, I mean, they're, they're it's really what we're known for, and it, we are trying to inspire the world's future conservationists. Um, so the, the large kind of picture of conservation is really kind of under my purview. You know, I'm so excited because you gave me a personal tour, and I felt like I was like, oh, I can't believe I'm in the aquarium. I'm walking around, and you're explaining so much to me, and I was like taken back. You know, I, I sat at home that night, and I looked at my two kids, and I was like, we have Disney World right under our, <laughs> right here. I don't have to go to San Diego Zoo. I don't have to go to San Diego Crown. I don't have to go anywhere. I have it right here in Baltimore. And that's what we're going to talk about today. We're really going to talk about the National Aquarium. It's a beautiful thing we have here. And we want to just highlight what's going on. But before we go there, we got to get, get, learn a little bit about you. I always ask every guest about this. So Absolutely. let's get a little bit about you. Are you originally from Baltimore? Give us a little background. Sure. I was actually um, born in Baltimore City, just right down the street there. But I grew up in Pasadena, Maryland, which is probably seven miles um, behind you uh, on, on the river. So basically grew up just outside of the city, um, was here until I graduated from high school. Nice, nice. So then when you graduated from high school, where did you go? I went to my undergraduate school in Dallas, Texas, at the University of Dallas, and then I went to um, get a master's in the Virginia Institute of Marine Science, which is part of the College of William and Mary in Virginia. Okay. So when you did that, was that did you do that in mind of coming back to Baltimore and working at the National Aquarium? Did you think about that? Was that in your mind? Not really. You know, I um, I. I remember when the aquarium opened, and it was a really big part of my childhood. We came several times, you know, while um, while it was open and, be, and before I left town. But um, when I went to school, you know, I was I was really focused on marine science, um, and eventually kind of uh, hard aquatic toxicology. Um, but I really didn't think of myself working at an aquarium. Um, it it, it would have been cool. Um, obviously, but, you know, it, I, I felt more of my passion heading towards the outdoors and doing science because that was something that I was really kind of good at and I really loved. Um, but also, you know, s somehow working in the outdoors and, and protecting our planet. All right. So what was your first job out? I mean, we talked about this. What was your first job <laughs> out of, you know, after, after all the schooling? Sure. So I got a master's in, in aquatic toxicology. And then my first job was at a medical school doing human toxicology. Um, so I was in the biochemistry department at UT, University of Texas Houston Medical School, for almost 10 years, um, just doing various jobs. And in the back of your mind, while you're doing work with humans, you're doing this, is the National Aquarium, is, do you like, are there little hints coming, like, you got to come back home. It's time to come back home. It's time to come back. You know what? I really enjoyed my time in Texas. Um, but w sometime in 2002, uh, my husband got an offer to get a job at Hopkins in Baltimore. Mm. Sorry. He was my boyfriend then. He was not my husband. Okay. Um, but he got an offer <laughs> to, uh, to, to come to Hopkins and get a job. And he's like, so we have an, we have an opportunity to go to Baltimore together and you know it just that just hit me I, I really enjoyed my time in Texas I was doing some really good stuff um, in Texas but I was like 
I could go home. You know, I could be near my parents again. I had young nephews. My family was growing, and I wanted, I didn't want to miss all of that. Um, and I, you know, I love the Mid-Atlantic. It's home. Um, I, I really, I wanted to get out, but once you're out, if you know, you know, you, there's a point in time when you want to come back. So I really did kind of jump at that opportunity. We both jumped at the opportunity, and we moved back here in, in 2002. Nice, nice. And once we decided, okay, we're moving back to Baltimore, I was like, okay, I need to find a job. I'd worked at that school for 10 years. I, that was my first job and my only job of my entire career. Um, so now it's time for me to find a job. I hadn't done job hunting in, in a decade, so it was a little, a little tough. Um, but really, honestly, the first thing I, th then it was the first thing I thought about. When it was time to come back to Baltimore, it would be really great to work at a place like this. Now, I, I, I forgot the question, and I always ask every person that comes on the show, what is your favorite childhood memory growing up in Baltimore? You know what? Um, I'm going to just flip that around a little bit because I, I thought about that and I don't, I'm not the kind of person that has like this one memory that sticks out, but really for me, 90% of my childhood memories are outside. They're mm. outside, they're in the park, in my yard, you know, either um, family reunions at a state park or something like that, going down to the beach every summer, you know, went down to Ocean City all the time. Um, they're not ever like there's very few of my memories that are inside they've they really um, focused on the outside world no I, I i totally believe i i remember going to stone mountain in georgia mm. growing up and climbing the mountain you know going up the mountain and then we we're going living in new york we had going to anironics sleeping in lean-tos uh, you couldn't catch me in one right now <laughs> but uh, again it's, it's the outdoors you know and and i just miss being outside you remember you know when yeah. you know now it's like you know video games and stuff like that. Yeah, you but don't have you don't remember you don't remember that. You no. don't remember you sitting for hours and hours on a couch no. playing video games. You remember the really special moments. I remember the light when the when the street light came on, I better be in the house. I remember <laughs> that. That was the golden rule. I had to be home by that time. Yeah. And I and just, catching lightning bugs yeah. and yeah, that's, we, that's we, what you remember. Well I'm not I don't want to say it wrong. But the creek or the crick, or the people crick. call it different words. My dad's from Pennsylvania. He would say crick. Right, the crick. We would say creek. <laughs> and we would catch um crawfish out of the creek in Maryland, which was so weird. And it was a little tiny crawfish in the creek, and I was like, this is so cool, riding my bikes around. So I always go back to the childhood memory because it's just something you remember being, you know, growing up and whatnot. Mm -hmm. So we're going to take a quick break because I also want to give a quick background about you first and foremost. When we come back, we'll talk about the National Aquarium. Yeah, sure. And the definition of what you do. And we'll talk about the dolphins, because everybody wants to talk about the dolphins. Okay. And we'll talk about the programs that you guys have going on that people need to hear about. And that maybe we don't ever hear about it or things that you probably hear about, but you don't know. So we'll be right back at these messages, folks. OpenWorks is Baltimore's largest makerspace, offering access to tools ranging from 3D printers to welder and training in how to use them. OpenWorks also offers affordable studio space, a coffee shop, and fun-free events throughout the year. But OpenWorks is more than a public workshop. It's a community of creative professionals, students, seniors, entrepreneurs, and makers of all kinds. Check out the website at www.openworksbmore.org or Instagram at open underscore works underscore bmore for class schedules, membership options, and more. 
The No Picks After Dark podcast is proudly partnered with Maggie's Farm. Located at 4341 Hartford Road, Maggie's Farm offers a unique dining experience with delicious handcrafted cocktails and mouth-watering cuisine from falafels to scallops and everyone's favorites, honey sriracha cauliflower wings. Open for dinner from 4 p.m. until 10 p.m., Tuesday through Saturday, and for brunch, Saturday from 11 a.m. to 3 p.m., and Sunday from 11 a.m. to 4 p.m. with delectable chicken and waffles, shrimp and grits, biscuits and gravy, and more. Check out Maggie's Farm on Instagram and Facebook for daily and weekly food specials. Folks, we are back again with Ms. Laura Banky. She is the Vice President of Conservation Programs at the National Aquarium. The National Aquarium. National Aquarium. The National Aquarium, folks. We are live and direct. No picks after dark is at the National Aquarium. I don't know. I'm about to smile, smiling ear for ear right now. So let's talk about what is your definition of conservation? What's the definition? Sure. Of? I, I, I think conservation is the, the protection of our natural world for the benefit of both humans and wildlife. Um, and if I can kind of put it into an analogy, I think, you know, if you think about our, our natural world as a Jenga game, you know, for example, okay. um, when something bad happens, you know, we lose a species. It's the same thing as knocking one of those pegs out of the Jenga tower. Um, and then maybe we tear down a forest to put up a, you know, parking lot, the, the famous uh, lyrics. It's another piece. Um, so it's just one piece out, but every piece you knock out, kind of you hurt the structural integrity of the entire game. And there's only so much of that you can do before it all kind of collapses. Mm. So that's true kind of in an acute big picture sense. Everybody gets like, we shouldn't you know, cut down a lot of forests for parking lots. Um, but I also, if you wanna go a little bit deeper into that, like think of each peg as a Jenga game. Um, and small things that we as individuals do, um, you know, to, that hurts our planet, you know, maybe things like, you know, the National Aquarium is trying to tell people or, or have people understand that our uh, um, kind of reliance on single-use plastics, you know, we should rethink about how we use single-use plastics. Um, the fact that, you know, millions of tons of plastics uh, waste goes into our ocean every year, that's like a, almost a chronic thing. So that's, if you, you take that Jenga piece and now you're like picking pieces out of that one piece, if you do that enough, then that one piece is going to crumble. Um, so mm. it's, 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 it's layered, but it's also kind of, you know, it has the ability to one action eventually is going to cause the whole thing to fall. So our job is to put it back together, you know, stop taking pieces out and then figure out how we put back pieces back together so that we just have a more reliable um, and healthy ocean planet. Would that be relatable to like the, basically the ecosystem? Mm -hmm. and yes. You're taking one thing out of the ecosystem and then it just disrupts another thing. Right. Nothing happens. Everything has a consequence. You might think, you know, oh, this small toad went extinct, you know, across uh, somewhere across the world. But that small toad, you know, his life is is connected to so many other things. So one piece gets knocked out because that small toad is extinct, but all the other pieces are less, you know, they're, they're less structurally, you know, there's no structural integrity anymore because of his connection with all of the other pieces. Mm. Um, so the, the trick is we have to like switch that balance. We need to start, stop taking the pieces out of the Jenga game and start putting them back in. 
I like that. I like that. So tell us more about the programs that you guys have here at the National Aquarium. Sure. And and it's a long list, so I don't know how long. Hey, we got time. Okay, we got great. time. Um, so I had mentioned earlier that we do have uh, field conservation work. So we do a lot of restoration projects with partners um, around the, the mid-Atlantic area. In fact, we have one coming up next weekend with our friends at Baltimore County. Um, we're going to be restoring some wetlands at uh, Chesterwood Park in Baltimore County. So we're inviting volunteers, our guests, our members to come out with us and help restore that shoreline. You know, it's one thing to, to come in here and be inspired by all of the animals and the great habitats you see. and um, But we want to actually take that in inspiration and have you take an action because of that inspiration. Um, so we, we invite you to join us in any of these restoration uh, projects that we have. We do a lot of cleanup events. We do a lot of what we call community science. So if you're interested in just helping scientists across the globe understand this world a little bit better, there's, there's lots of projects out there where you can just go out in your backyard, record the clouds, record the species you find in your backyard and upload those to the, the World Wide Web so that, you know, people have access to that data. And if enough people do that around the world, it, it provides a tremendous amount of data for our scientists to be able to then either figure out s systems or figure out how to help systems in the future. Um, so we do that. You know, I had mentioned before that we have education programs out there. Um, you know, we do K through gray is, is the, the term that we use, but we have young students come in. Um, we, we do programming here. Obviously, we bring in over 100,000 uh, students from Maryland every year, wow. um, non-COVID years anyway. <laughs> so we bring in a lot um, a lot of students, and most of the half of them come for free, or a lot of them, sorry, a lot of them do come for free. So we offer free admission to Maryland students during the school year. Um, but we also go out to schools. You know, we can go out to schools and do programming. We have summer programs for Baltimore City students. We have camps where the students not only come here, but we take them to really interesting ecosystems across the country. We go up to Maine. We go um, down to Florida, you know, some kids from Baltimore City that have never been on a plane, never been out of the city, maybe, or never been out of the state, and we introduce them to a, a new place, a new habitat, so that they have a better appreciation for our natural world. I love hearing that. that yeah, it's that's music, that, that's music to my ears, and I know the listeners will definitely, wherever they're watching, will love hearing about that with the Baltimore City kids and mm -hmm. give them the opportunity and have level the playing field so people can understand, like, What's out there besides yeah. the area? Yeah, th those programs are really life-changing. I can't really emphasize that enough. Do you know how that program works, how it comes up? How does that come out? Like, how would I know? So if I'm, if I'm watching this right now, and I'm like, it's probably too late for the summer. It is. So but how do we go forward and keep that message alive? Yeah, sure. Absolutely. So we are able to, we usually recruit for those in early winter, like January timeframe. So towards the end of the year, the beginning of the year, you want to pay attention to our website. Um, we do have an education newsletter you can subscribe to, um, but definitely um, click, uh, subscribe to our, our regular newsletter um, that goes out. Our, our news, uh, sorry, it's our concert, our Oh, forgive me. Um, so it's Aqua News. Okay. Um, 
but subscribe to that and, and we'll let people know when that's coming up. Pay attention to the website. We have an education page up there, but it's usually around the, the change of the year. Um, we, we ask for applications. So you have to apply. You have to get a, a teacher recommendation because it's a free program. Um, so we want to make sure that we're, we're getting the, the people in that really want to be in. Um, and then you have to actually go into an interview um, with our educators. But the fantastic thing is, you know, you might get this once in a lifetime opportunity um, at the end of it. So it's it's really life changing. Now, if you go one year, do you can are you available to come back the following year? Absolutely. Are you already grandfathered in, or do you have to reapply? You're not grandfathered in. Okay. You do have to reapply, but um, we do absolutely kind of. I hope that folks kind of go year after year. And we've built the curriculum for the the, um, the camps that way. So, mm. uh, for example, I, th I think right now we're, we're doing two grades. It's done by grade, okay. not by age. Um, two grades at a time. So maybe third and fourth grade camp and a fifth and sixth grade camp. And each of the curriculums are different. So if you go in fourth grade one year and you want to come back the next year and you're not doing the same thing you know you'll go to another place and you'll eventually kind of build your way up to to go to some pretty amazing places across the country so i have a lot of um people in my family that work in this educational school systems and mm -hmm. whatnot and i love people who listen on the show and watch the show what if they say hey I, I, this sounds amazing would you guys actually come out to the school and say hey present hey this is what we have going on in front of the uh, say for instance, the PTA or things like, like kind of like a community outreach type of thing where, hey, do you, can you come out to, I'll pick on a school, uh, Medfield Heights or or another school like um, Hamilton Law, Hamilton Elementary, whatever it may be, would you guys come out there and say, hey, this is our presentation, this is what we're doing, and try to recruit, or you don't have to recruit, it just, it just is, it is what it is? Well, we don't necessarily have to recruit, but we certainly want more people to know what we're doing. I don't right. think everybody knows. So we definitely want to make sure everybody eligible for that program knows so that they have an opportunity to, uh, to apply. We do have a, a, a relationship with Baltimore City School Systems okay. and their science coordinators. Um, so that's there, but it, that doesn't mean everybody's getting the word. Right. Um, so if somebody contacts us, we'd be happy to figure out how to make sure that they get the right information. Yeah, I just know we have such a strong thing with digital divide right now. Right. Just trying to be online yep. and things of that nature. We're just right. trying to just, you know, figure out if people are listening, hey, we can do this and right. reach out. So, and, and that's a problem. I mean, some parts of our city have more resources than the other. We really do want to make sure that everybody has kind of an equal opportunity for these amazing um, camp opportunities. Well, hold me to it next year. Okay. Next year, this next year when it's January one when it comes out, please get the communication team okay. to reach out to me, and then we can do something special and put it out in the, in the ecosystem. Love to. So sorry about that. We just, no, I, I, I really good. wanted to make sure people hear about that in the community so they have a better understanding of what this is because program sounds amazing to me and I wish I kind of knew about this when I was a child because I'm like oh, I can go out and go outside and learn things that's that's what it's all about so you guys science-based education tell me a little bit about that and like the hands-on field initiative tell me a little bit about that sure so you know obviously um, everything that we do the interpretation in the building our education programs even when we're working with our volunteers um, what we are focused on providing messages that kind of align with the, the latest science. Um, that's just, you know, 
our reputation kind of depends on it, and that's that's our our baseline for you know how we speak to anybody. Um, it's whether it's an education participant or somebody that's coming through our doors. It's part of our written um, pieces of our, our exhibits and the the presentations that happen either like on the very various carts or various programs inside the building. We just want to make sure that people have the most up to date information, factual information, um, so that they can do the right thing um, once they are inspired by um, our work with them. All right, so this question wasn't on the what I gave you, yeah. but I thought about this sitting here, and we talked about this on, on a tour. So people probably were like, what did you guys do during COVID? Mm. Animals have got to get fed. The animals have to, <laughs> animals get fed. to get fed. So how did you guys pivot as far as during the COVID and like things you probably learned as an organization, as a conservationist, like that you didn't really know, and then you're like, we can do this a little bit better in a different way. Right. What, what did you learn about yourself and in the program that's doing this <laughs> with, the, with the animals? I mean, the sharks got to get fed somehow. Right? Yes. And I'm sure they liked people. I mean, I don't know what animals they hear like people around, but there was nobody here, really. There was no, but well, there was no guests here. <laughs> right, no guests here. Yeah, so. we had shut our doors for three months, just following the the latest guidelines by our you know state and city partners. Um, it was as hard on us. I know it it hit everybody very very hard, and it was hard on us um, as well. So shutting our doors had a big impact, as as you mentioned. You know, much of our revenue comes from people coming in through the doors and buying tickets. Um, so when that doesn't happen, you know, that it hurts us a little bit. Um, and we're not a place where, you know, we're not a, a building that we can just close the doors, turn off the lights, pay one security guard, and right. we're okay for three months. It, like you said, it doesn't work that way. We have thousands and thousands of animals that are taken care of 24-7. So it doesn't matter if COVID's happening outside the doors. We have to do our due diligence and take care of those animals in the best way possible. So we were scrambling to figure out, okay, we still need our rainforest team to come in. How do we make them safe as they have to come in and work together? So trying to just figure out shifts and, you know, it, and it was tough for essential workers. So was, well, the first year, it was really, really tough. Um, you know, some people had the opportunity to stay home and hunker down and some people did not. Um, and that was definitely true of our staff here at the National Aquarium. Um, but we learned just like everybody else did, you know, we learned how to adapt. Um, when we did open three months later, you know, we started off with limited capacity, trying to make sure everybody was safe. You know, again, following this, the science, the best available science and see how we can continue to, to run our business, inspire people, um, but keep everybody safe. So, you know, we try, it was a lot of trial and error. We, we did our best. Um, we did have limited capacity for a long time. Um, just to, to make sure everybody everybody was safe, um, following the rules, again, of the city and the state as they come through. Um, but it was interesting. And for, you know, for my team in particular, the ones that go outside and do the work, um, I actually remember we always have a, an event where we're planting trees on the eastern shore in March, and we got the delivery <laughs> on March 12th, I think, of the trees. Yep, that's If you remember, yep. we closed down on March 13th. Yep. So the trees were delivered to our facility <laughs> in Jonestown at the Animal Care and Rescue Center on the 12th, and we were supposed to have 100 volunteers come out, you know, in two weeks and, um, and plant those trees, and we're like, okay, how are we going to get this done? So I moved them to my backyard and I watered them until we figured it out. 
Um, we took our staff, you know, just our staff, not the 100 volunteers, and we got them in the ground because, well, we always plant trees when we can plant trees. Um, but we had to do it safely, and we had to make sure, you know, we didn't want to jeopardize our volunteers, the health and safety of our volunteers. You know, so fun things like that happened. Um, and then, you know, we realized that we could do a lot of stuff virtually that we really didn't think we could do before we were forced to try. Um, so we had some animal encounter opportunities for our members um, while we were shut down. We, we did, you know, my team is the uh, Baltimore coordinator for a, a community science project called City Nature Challenge, where you want people to get outside and, and use your phone to identify, you know, all the critters in your backyard type of thing. And um, we kind of switched that to virtual engagement. And we had more volunteers that year than we had the year before when, when we were able to kind of meet in person and, and provide opportunities for people to meet together. So we did, we did learn um, new things that we could do. Um, and, you know, we, we will hopefully take the good stuff along with us post-COVID um, and just learn to be flexible and adaptable like, like the rest. I mean, we're, we're all humans living in this world, and we had to do it in our own personal lives, and it's the same thing here. Well, I always think the National Aquarium was always ahead of the curve. You guys had time, people coming in, in there already. Mm -hmm. and I remember interviewing um, scientists from the Maryland Zoo, and um, they were telling me a lot of kids were writing in saying, Who is the, are, the, are the animals lonely? No. Oh. Because they didn't know, yeah. like they, you know, they're used to seeing the animals, and they were already lonely, and somebody there with them, and just good to hear. And thank you for saying that personal touch of what's going to happen, how you had to plant the trees <laughs> at your house to keep them alive, and that, that's 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 huge. I really appreciate that. So, when we hear when you hear the word World Ocean Day on June eighth, what does that come to mind? Because when you told me about World Ocean Day, I was like. You had like, never heard of it. Before, you know right? what? You got me. Nope. You got me. I, 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 I was like, okay, all right. <laughs> I was like, you, you like this is the day the episodes drop. I'm like, okay. So it's World Ocean Day for those who probably like. What are you talking about? Give us a little breakdown. Uh, so World Oceans Day is de designated by the United Nations um, every year on June 8th. So that's the day we set aside to really celebrate the ocean and all of it. All of it provides for us. Um, so there's usually there's there's activities around the globe, um, but you know folks like uh, the National Aquarium and other aquariums kind of use this as, as an opportunity to share messages around the importance of a healthy ocean and what people that come into our buildings can do to, to protect it. Um, so it is, it's a good opportunity to remind people that the ocean provides the oxygen that we breathe, it's the circulatory system of the planet, um, a lot of our food comes from the ocean. You know, without a healthy ocean, you won't have a healthy um, you know, human population. So. Just a reminder, every once in a while, once a year, that we need to think about how important our ocean is to us. We are a blue planet. 70% of our Earth is covered in ocean, not the other way around. We tend to think of the, the Earth as like, okay, mm. we're in Maryland on this land mass right here, but most of the planet is covered in ocean, and we have to remember to act like it um, and help protect that ocean for us. Also, we we're the dolphin exhibit. I mean, that's one of the most popular things here. Mm -hmm. You know, what can you say about the dolphins? Anything fun about them? Like, do they sleep? Do they ever rest? Because people <laughs> always, like, coming by. But we walked by, and I'm like, I felt mesmerized just watching. It was a very peaceful. 
I mean, is that one of the favorites? It's like a lot of kids come and see to, to come here. Yeah, I, I mean, everybody loves to come here and see the dolphins. Like, like you said, they 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 hold something over us. You know, they they're very intelligent, um, and they're able to. You know, I've seen it, so much fun in the morning before we open. You know, I can see our our wonderful cleaning crew wiping the glass of oh. the of the exhibits, and the dolphin will come watch the people. You know, watch and you sometimes you see the dolphin like doing the same motion as as the human on the other side of the glass. Oh. <laughs> There's just a connection because I think because they're so intelligent. They are. Um, so it, it's just it's fascinating and it's fascinating to watch an animal like that living in the water. You know, they have a completely different life than you, but you feel a connection um, to them. So that's fun. They do sleep, but it's a kind of, they call it semi-hemispheric, like half of their brain goes to sleep and because they, you know, obviously are air breathers. They can't completely go to sleep, but, um, they do their version of sleep. Um, so it's fascinating. And if you're here early in the morning, you know, you might see it. That's cool. Um, that is really yeah. cool. But mostly during the day, they're, they're a little bit more active. All right. So I'm, I'm going to ask the question. I have held off for a little bit. And one big thing that I've heard from people before the show, and I told them I was coming down here, was that they were like, it costs too much to come to the aquarium. And, you know, I, I you know, speak on that. I mean, speak on that. I mean, because you and I have spoken off yeah. camera. When I walked this whole thing, I mean, we didn't even walk the whole aquarium. No, we didn't. And I'm thinking to myself, wow. And then people are saying, well, it hasn't changed since how many years or any facelifts or anything like that. Can you speak to that also? You know, go ahead. You just take it yeah, piece by sure. piece. Um, so the National Aquarium, you know, we've been around for 40 years. Um, and, and you know, I've, I I hear the, the, the same thing. People always want, can I get free tickets? Like, you know, <laughs> don't want to pay to go to the National Aquarium. But the reality is, you know, like we said earlier, we, ha we are not a museum where it's just static and all we have to do is, is pay people to walk around and make sure you're not touching the artwork you know we have tens of thousands of animals in their care um, and there is a responsibility for us to take care of them they have to be feed fed you know the water has to be taken care of so there is a cost to that unfortunately um, and we are we have to be able to to take care of our animals number one priority for us. Um, so there is a cost to that. But we realize that that might be a barrier to some folks. We, we do know that. So we try to provide as many opportunities for folks to come either at reduced price or free. So I want people to understand that they, there are opportunities out there to come for a reduced price and for free. Um, and then you get to experience this amazing place. So, for example, tonight, today's Friday, right? Mm -hmm. Half price Friday nights. Every day, every Friday of the year, after 5 o'clock, you can get in for half price. I didn't know that until you just told me that. There you go. Did not know that until you. So, come on by on Friday night. Um, like we're, I know you have some of the library. What's going on with the library for the price? Oh, so, so that's bring a, out, bring we have a fantastic <laughs> partnership with the Enoch Pratt Free, free Library. Um, it's called our Read to Reef program where we're trying to get young readers to really kind of explore books that are maybe ocean themed or water themed so that maybe we can you know inspire them um, to, to become maybe future aquarium uh, staff one day but uh, 
we have a program working with them. It's both in the spring and the fall. And you can go into the library, get a bookmark, read a certain number of books. Um, and you know, if you're registered for the program, then you can get tickets for your family to come visit the National Aquarium. So it's a win-win. I mean, getting kids to read, getting kids into the, and their families into the aquarium for free. The Enoch Pratt Free Library really kind of stepped up and, and we were able to provide this opportunity um, for you know, lots of kids throughout the city um, every year and we're so proud of that program. The other thing that we have going on this month, um, we have a school celebration. Ooh. I know, isn't it? Is it for, for, them, for June or May? It's happening in June. Okay, in June, okay. Um, and it, it really is an opportunity to kind of celebrate um, our, our local students as they finish mm -hmm. the school year. Mm -hmm. um, so we open a couple nights up to the aquarium just for students and their families. Um, we have it already, it's already full for this June, but next fall, next spring, um, pay attention uh, when you when you see that announcement come out because that's an opportunity for people they can come for free wow. um, and it, it's just celebrating everybody's good work during the academic school year so folks you hear you heard it there's so many different opportunities <clears throat> as far as getting half off and things of that nature and there's so many things for your kids now I know we'll we'll drop a little note I know there's some stuff going on for some adults but we'll, we'll that's, that's, that's a teaser but yep. in general you know, what do you want people to walk away from this interview? What do you want them to say when they listen to this or watch it on YouTube? What do you want? What do you What do you hope they walk away with? Well, um, you know, I hope that they realize that when they come to the National Aquarium, what they're doing is really you know, supporting a, a larger effort to do, to um, conserve our aquatic world. You know, we're not just an attraction in Baltimore City. We really are focused on protecting our our. our um, wildlife and our species and um, once you come in here what we hope that happens once you visit the aquarium is that you're inspired to also kind of join us um, so obviously want you to come have a good time want you to learn things but also want you to be inspired um, and hopefully that inspiration kind of translate into you know maybe you you change a habit you know you stop using uh, single-use plastic water bottles or, or something like that. But you realize that your actions have consequences and you have the agency to make a better life for, for yourself and for the, the wildlife that we share it with. You dropped a lot of jewels and gems, as I always say <laughs> in my podcast. You dropped a lot of heat. If I haven't done my mental index right now, just thank you so much of what you've, in your time. Oh, gosh. Because I know the animals are looking for you out there. I don't want to hold you up. But <laughs> let's talk about a little bit. Where can we find you guys on social media? Do you have the social media plugs at all? I do, but I'm going to. You can use your paper. <laughs> no, you can use it. Go ahead. Please do. Um, so our Twitter handle is at N-A-T-L Aquarium, all one word. Our Instagram handle is at National Aquarium, all one word. Um, our Facebook is National Aquarium. Um, and TikTok is N-A-T-L Aquarium. That's where the kids go now. They, 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 go to, they go to TikTok. That's where they hang out now. <laughs> so now we've asked you all the hard questions. Now we're going to lighten up a little bit, okay? All right, I'm ready. Speed round. Brunch or dinner? Brunch. Oh, my God, brunch. What's your favorite meal for brunch? You know, Miss Shirley's um, crab cake eggs benedict or crab eggs Ooh. benedict i don't know what how hard called. is it you work right across the street from here oh my gosh i would I probably be eating her once a week it's amazing it is amazing snowballs or ice cream can you i would say both 
Have you ever had the ice cream in the bottom of the snowball? Wait, 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 wait. We're from Baltimore. We're from Maryland. Sky of snowball. I'm from Pasadena. Okay, no, come know, on. We got snowballs. So come it, on. You know, this time of year it's definitely snowballs, but okay. January it's ice cream because you true. don't because they all close down in Labor Day. True, true. Crabs or crab cakes? Crabs. Okay. Um, but my husband's allergic to crabs, so I don't get to eat them as much as. Oh wow! But I love the sitting around with a whole bunch of people and just talking for hours and picking crabs and doing not much else. All right, here's a bonus question. Okay. Do you eat chicken wings? Yes. Flats or drums? Flats. Blue cheese or ranch? Blue cheese. I like that. Blue cheese. Yeah, <laughs> I like blue cheese. And what is the best advice you've ever received? You know, my mom uh, told me that I can, cho- I can and should choose to be happy. I love it. Yep. Well, thank you so much for coming on No Picks Ever Dark podcast. Thank you. It was. This has been a great pleasure. Hopefully, we can run it back sooner than later of course or maybe after dark i don't know <laughs> or we can go on a voyage but i don't know but i will talk dropping all those little things there but we'll see but uh thank you so much national aquarium for having us here today it's been an amazing experience this has been i'm so excited that we could do this and um shout out to the communication team the community team who's in the house right now shout out to them for making this happen and hopefully we can come back and do a part two of this always welcome yeah, hopefully, hopefully the doors open and i will and i will pay Come to the National Aquarium. Love, peace, and we're out, folks. Thanks, Aaron. Thank you. Correct. Baltimore Fiscal Partners is a boutique CPA firm specializing in accounting and consulting services for nonprofits, small businesses, and with experience running nonprofits and small businesses, they know that there's not always enough time at the end of the day for you to focus on your finances. Whether it's monthly bookkeeping or an annual audit, tax preparation, or consulting, nonprofit or small business, Baltimore Fiscal Partners provides full range or tailored solutions that keep your goals and budget in mind. Learn more about Baltimore Fiscal Partners online at BaltimoreFiscal.com or follow them at Baltimore Fiscal on Facebook and Instagram.